in the second episode of our second season of the Founders and Coders podcast, I talk to one of the other cohort members, Terence, and the course facilitator for our cohort, Jack. Unfortunately, Jack's audio was not great in this episode, so it's, uh, I mean, I did, I did the best I could. Um, please bear with us. Hopefully it sounds good enough to you, but if not, then like, you can always skip to episode three. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fact 20 podcast. I am your host today, Azizi Adiemo, and I am joined today by Terence. That's when you say hello, Terence. Hello, Terence. <laughs> and Jack, who is the course facilitator for our cohort. Hello. How's it going, guys? Not bad. Pretty tired. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, I'm so excited to be on the podcast, Azizi. Thanks for inviting me. There's no, there's no need for sarcastic shoulders. <laughs> I don't think the listeners can hear the sarcastic shoulders. They were very loud. Um, <laughs> vi- visually, they're very loud. <laughs> but hey, um, yeah, I mean, like at this end of our sort of cohort, it's getting... I'm, I'm pretty tired. I'm pretty worn out most of the time. I think people are kind of getting a bit unfocused. Um, but like considering the amount that we've learned, the amount that we've done, like it's kind of, it's kind of pretty impressive that we're still going and we're still making awesome things. Awesome. And you can't be stopped. Like every opportunity to learn something new, like you, you're kind of active. Everyone's kind of actively uh, avoiding writing kind of in Node or Postgres or like what you know? What other new things can we do instead of all the things that we've learned so far? Which is great. Know, it's nuts. It's exciting. You've um, I guess you've like sort of managed to uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Condition all of us into looking for the new thing all of the time now. Awesome. But hey, how have how have you how have you found like being the facilitator? Because this is the f- the first and only fat cohort that you've been the facilitator for right jack yes that's right and i think as far as i'm aware every course facilitator has only done the job once i don't know what that says about doing the job so uh, so i just like a, a lovely little compliment for you jack i've said this to a couple of different people on in the cohort and they've been like what jack's this is the only time Jack's done this. Like, he seems so good at it. He seems so practiced. So, you know. Gosh, that's great. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to all the 16 people listening to this podcast. <laughs> I'm not sure we'll get the four sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think is the least likely person to listen? I would not like to say. I feel that like that's a slightly derogatory statement. This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Why, why? Why are you here? You're ruining it. <laughs> um, no, but seriously. Um, like, how how have you found being being the facilitator? Um, so good. Like, such an amazing experience. <laughs> Terence is laughing again. They're not with his shoulders this time. Um. Yeah, it was everything I hoped it would be and more. <laughs> because I had in my head, now I need to worry about people from Fact 19 listening to that, but I had in my head like what it would be like to facilitate that cohort. 
And Fact20 is just so much better without me even having to do anything. It's made my job excessively easy and enjoyable. So I'm so pleased that I made the decision to not get straight into software development straight out of fact. And you've like managed to get loads of Fact19 to come in and be incredibly good at mentoring us um, at different times as well. They've been wonderful. Um, so <laughs> it's, yeah, I've, I've felt really lucky to have both you and them teaching us. It's been really great, actually. It's been a great way for me to catch up with them. Um, in the first couple of months, obviously, like them coming in and me just getting a chance to chat to them about how life was going. Um, and then since then, I've been quite shameless in roping them into different, you know, talks and, um, employment bits and bobs and uh, there's more to come as well in the next few weeks yeah 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 yeah. Um, and how about you terence like you you've been doing this for as long as i have you are as worn out as i am uh but you seem to have like found your feet really quickly with loads of the stuff that we've been doing all of the stuff that we've been learning and been quite humble about that at the same time Yeah, I'm definitely finding it harder now. I'm running out of steam, honestly. I think after student project, definitely this week anyway, I feel like I still need to catch one sleep. But as soon as we start coding next week, I'm sure I'll be ready to go again. I mean, in terms of, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's just so much to learn. I know if, I, if it seems like I get so faster or not, but I don't feel like I'm doing anything special, right? Like, it's just we're learning the same stuff and it is all confusing. And no matter how much I learn, I still feel like there's so much more out there. So it never feels like I've done something enough. I've done, I've done enough, I guess, I suppose, is the way to put it. So I don't know, it's, it's nice to hear it from people in like, in late weeks where they, they seem to think that, you know, oh, you have turns and get it, then, then we're screwed. You know, it's nice to hear that, honestly, you know, like, I didn't expect that, honestly, with going into this. So I didn't know what to expect learning programming from, from scratch, but it has been a great experience learning with each other and like teaching each other and just building stuff with people. Something that you can't get building stuff on your own. I think so. That's uh, definitely been a big, big plus of doing founders and coders. And I suppose the focus on pair programming as well is uh, different from other boot camps, which they might just focus on like more kind of classroom based style. So yeah, now enjoying it. Nearly at the end, trying not to get freaked out by finding jobs. That's, uh, <laughs> part of the, the stress, I think, of taking away the enthusiasm almost. It's doing type of better, doing a good job, trying to job hunt, you know? So, I don't know. It's a lot going on right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think <laughs> there's sort of lots of competing things out there. Like, um, it's really nice to be, like, actually producing something that's going to be valuable to people outside of a specific cohort, but we've also got to make sure that we are lining up something for us to do afterwards, uh, which is a lot. Um, but yeah, the pair programming thing, um, like I think the so much of the collaborative nature of founders and coders is, has been a joy to be a part of. I think it's something that I didn't really understand. I, I didn't understand at all before I started. And it has, I don't know, it makes you feel like you're a part of a community. 
Um, in fact, it doesn't make you feel like you're a part of a community. You are definitely, <laughs> like, no choice about it, a part of a community. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so what were you doing before, Terence? Before FAC. Um, yeah, way back. I was working at a clinical trials company in the computer systems validation department. And the problem with this job is that nobody knows what validation is. <laughs> like, I didn't know when I applied to the job, you know, and I quickly just, when I got the interview, I was like, I'm just going to Google some stuff and just build up some Wikipedia knowledge. And then somehow that was good enough. So I'm going to bore everyone out with a quick explanation of what validation is. So in clinical trials, there's a lot of regulations because we're dealing with volunteers. So that means we need to test everything and ensure all the equipment we use is is safer for patients, it's gonna produce high quality data and it's not gonna be like manipulated. So the idea behind system validation is writing tests and documenting everything for all these different instruments. So for the lab, you've got all your analyzers, different instruments, pharmacy, same thing. Uh, the ward, you've got all your kind of ward equipment. So it could be like ECGs or other kind of uh, stuff that you use in the ward to hook up the volunteers. Um, yeah, so it's all those things in the whole company need to be tested. Can I interrupt you for a second? Of I'm, course. Sorry, I'm I'm a science nerd. Um, when when you're talking about an analyzer, are we are mm -hmm. we talking about like some sort of spectrography type thing or what? Uh, the ones that we had a lot of the labs were to do with analyzing blood samples and that kind of stuff. So I'm sure there was something like that. And yeah, there wasn't like big. Big machines like you're not. We, we don't have any, like HPLC machines going along or chromatography around. It's more kind of smaller form analyzers. They were mainly just small samples from patients with volunteers. And yeah, no, it was quite not the most exciting job. A lot of bureaucracy, getting signatures, and obviously no one likes signing stuff off, right? They just want to do their job. So we have to bug other departments, being like, "You got to sign this off before we can do X and Y. Otherwise, we get shut down, and no one cares." They just, they just don't sign it off or they fill out the form wrong and then we get audited and then, yeah, it's, yeah, we didn't go shut down in the lab because the lab department was awful. Like, the idea of having separate logins just didn't exist, you know, so anyone could go into the lab, log into any analyzer and just mess with data. Oh my God. Which is a big no-no. When the MHRA guy came in, he was like, yes, this, mm, this is not good. You know, oh my you God. Gotta, you could do something like this. Yeah. <laughs> but like but science and doing things properly <laughs> to make sure that you get real results yeah no in the real world man like people are lazy right like oh, i don't want to log in myself let me just use what you log in sure thing stays logged in the whole day <laughs> <laughs> so so like how's that affected your approach to like learning to code like, has that, has that made you really enjoy or really hate tests? I mean, I'm not a fan of tests in general. I think it's also because there was like enough time to write tests. Probably the wrong thing to say, you know, tests are important. We should write them along with our code. But in the short amount of time to build projects, I guess for me anyway, I prioritize functionality first and I guess CSS to make it look semi-presentable. And then, unfortunately, that leaves testing kind of last. 
and you don't have time to go back to write it. So, I mean, I have nothing against testing. I just don't feel like I've had enough time to really delve into it and really, you know, enjoy it as much. But, I mean, I love seeing those green ticks coming up, so <laughs> it's it's what I live for. I'm always disappointed when I don't get enough tests in. <laughs> hey, and um, and Jack, before before you were part of the previous um, fac cohort, um, what what was your job? Um, that's a great question. Um, I before fac, um, so I so I was in the charity sector for about five years doing fundraising. And that was three years at Great Ormond Street, uh, and two years, well, a year and a half at Shelter. Um, and it was actually this time last year when I was at Shelter thinking that I'd had enough, really, of that whole, <laughs> uh, world, which is brilliant. Um, but it can be quite bureaucratic and, uh, it can take quite a lot of energy going into the kind of the wrong places. So basically decided to get out. And I remembered I did a couple of coding projects at, at uni um, that I really enjoyed. And it never really occurred to me to build websites before. Um, but it just sort of clicked at the right time. Um, so I spoke to like a friend of mine at work about like how much I wanted to leave and she put me in touch with her friend Naz who did back six or something back a long time ago anyway and so I just spoke to her and like was immediately sold on fans and coders um as a kind of concept uh so yeah that's that's where I sort of started mm-hmm so I mean it's one of the interesting things that we all have like such different backgrounds. Um, what what do you think having worked in the charity sector brought to FAC for you? Like how did that affect your I approach guess, like, to being a part of everything? Yeah. I think what what made me start thinking about it in the first place was when I was at Shelter, um, I worked as part of the team of people, the campaigns team that was fighting to end DSS discrimination uh, and we got to a stage where we were having all these conversations with big businesses and like leading estate agents about their illegal practices and in fact just a couple of months ago uh, my friend Rose who put me in touch with Naz in the first place she was the first she I actually don't understand law very well. But she she had the, the first successful case that proved that discrimination against people in housing benefit uh, in the UK is illegal. So that's huge for the campaign. But the problem still remains like, how do we get that message further than just the big companies that we're talking to without it having to like take years to trickle down to the thousands and thousands of estate agents that are usually quite small and aren't necessarily up to scratch with Know, the laws um, and so the solution that we were talking about at the time was some technological solution so a digital tool where 
somebody experiencing housing benefit discrimination could register that on an app or whatever and shelter would send an automated letter of some sort to that estate agent and so just thinking about that uh i got very excited about you know the scalability of social impact basically through tech and so that was a big part of why I want to be part of Bands and Coders rather than any other bootcamp um, in particular. And um, I guess that, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that, I don't know how much of that I brought into the my um, my time with Bands and Coders. But suddenly like trying to understand the bigger picture of why I'm building things is really important which you get with Tech for Better and you meet your product owners and you have a conversation with them and you try and understand not just like what they want built, but how it fits into a wider vision or something without wanting to sound roundabout at all. <laughs> um, so has anything happened with that original idea then? No. Delta is, and this is another part of why I eventually wanted to leave and well had to in the end really um is that nothing uh ever gets done in big charities because everything is so slow it needs to go through so many processes and so many teams need to sign off on so many things that um it's a real shame it's like the thing that i was most excited about in my year and a half at shelter uh that was never taken seriously by the people who i <laughs> was working with Mm-hmm. But I guess now you have the opportunity to like have positive effect in other places in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and leaving Fabs and Coders straight out the gate, it's hard to, um, you know, beggars can't be choosers, and it's hard to kind of make sure that your first job or even your second job is necessarily going to have all that social impact that you're looking for, but give it sort of six to 12 months and, and well this is my plan anyways like build up that experience to then take to a project that is more meaningful but your first job was being facilitator for us Absolutely. that was really meaningful for us <laughs> and for me yeah 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 I, i've definitely fallen on my feet and i've been very very fortunate um to have that opportunity and then also to start recently at um worker bird which was set up by uh, somebody else, somebody who graduated founders and coders a couple of years ago. Um, and that is a social enterprise as well. So, yeah, I've been very lucky. Nice. So, let me take things in a slightly different direction. Um, like, it's fascinating he- hearing how both of you have got to where we are at the moment. But what about people who are on that journey further back on that journey at the moment right like if you could talk to yourself a year ago what advice would you give yourself about how to move forward and learn more code and get better at all of the things that we're still trying to get better at terence i know it's a tricky one isn't it (laughs) i put you on the spot it's all good Shout out to any Fact 20 people still listening. You're awesome. <laughs> okay, that's why. I'm, I'm hoping we're going to get some of Fact 21 listening. 
could be useful content. So, all right. Um, what would I tell myself a year ago before joining Thousand Coders? Start earlier. Start a year earlier than that, you know? Like, should have done it ideally. If I go back in time, I wouldn't do chemistry at uni and do computer science. And I wouldn't have to <laughs> try so hard to learn programming. Really? Yes. Because I, I don't know, I think like having the greater breadth, like having learned something different and then coming in means that you've got more perspective on what else is out there, right? Like if, ev if everybody that is a coder does computer science, then that means they're only going to have that one mindset, that one view of the world. I think the fact that we've got people who have lots of different backgrounds, some of whom don't have degrees, have spent their lives doing something completely different, uh, some who are much younger, like can only make the whole industry better. Like it's just better to have more perspectives. So what I'm saying is chemistry was the right choice, man. Don't regret that. <laughs> just feel like it. <laughs> does not feel like it but yeah you're 100% right it is all about getting more and more points of view so you can build a better product because if it's just the same time the people working on something they only ever see it from their point of view, their perspective so it's, yeah like you said it's it's by taking into account other people's perspectives and building a product for everyone then that's how we that's how we just improve I suppose get to the, the real goal right we're not building a product for one type of person we're building a product for the tech product anyway for a, a massive range of people from different backgrounds. So you need different inputs so that you don't miss certain things because you're stuck in your your own like kind of sphere almost. So yeah, that's that's 100% true on that on that front. Uh, yeah, tell myself to start earlier, follow watch videos, watch more videos. At the start of doing prerequisites, I mainly followed PreCodeCamp. And then I felt like it's good in some aspects. Because it kinda of holds your hand, you know this is an H1 tag, write this tag. But it didn't give me any context. There's no like background to anything I was doing. So I feel like it wasn't really, it wasn't being wrapped up in like a bigger picture almost. It was like these, these just discrete bits of code that I'm learning, but I don't know how it fits together. So what I found very helpful was uh, while doing free code camp, I was also going through the Odin project, which is a lot more reading involved. It's its, its own kind of, uh, full stacky type online course, self-learning one. But by using that along with FreeCodeCamp, I felt like I learned a lot faster because it gave me long MDN articles to read, which put into context what I was learning doing FreeCodeCamp. So I think that might be a tip for other people who feel like FreeCodeCamp is leaving you with not enough context. There's definitely a lot of resources out there you can look yourself to get a bigger picture. Yeah, I think look, read stuff on MDN would be my one key piece of advice for myself. Um, less W3 schools, more MDN, um, <laughs> where you get a proper explanation of what you're looking at. Um, how about you, Jack? What do you think? Um, what's the question? The question was, what would you tell yourself um, a year ago? I guess maybe a year and a half for you. Um, I guess 
uh, well, this is this is advice that I did get that I ignored, or at least I don't know if I ignored it or I found it too complicated. I found it too much to take. And this was from people who knew what they were doing. So like friends who were in this space already or had some kind of experience with it, which is just to start building. Just pick a project that is maybe slightly further ahead than your current knowledge, which might be H1 tags and say, okay, build, build a colorful header. And so you know how to do that with H1 tags, but how do you add color? Well, and you put a style in the H1 tag and then you've got a colorful header. And so I think maybe if I'd known about tools like REPL, where you can just write JavaScript and then it does everything else for you, or uh, CodePen, where you know you can create all your HTML, CSS, and then it generates that all for you. If I'd known about that sooner, I might have tried to use that more. I don't know. I remember people telling me just like get involved with projects and learn from there. But that advice is quite overwhelming if you just you don't even know how to open a code editor. The case at the time when I was talking to my friend who'd been developing for six years or something. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Your time's up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so yeah. Um yeah, I've I've given that advice even myself um, to a couple of friends who are on the path. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. Like, apart from MDN myself, I think yeah, <laughs> start earlier probably. I did everything too quickly. <laughs> I only found out about VAC uh, two weeks before uh, the application deadline, and then it was a mad and crazy rush to get everything done. <laughs> what? That's impressive. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, but I'd like I'd spent the previous year like teaching myself code, not any of the languages we use, but like I've been traveling and learning Python when I'd been staying in the same place for a while, um, and like in my degree, I did lots of MATLAB, so it wasn't like having to learn a new way of thinking. It was just having to learn the specific like language um but yeah but i was still very 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 tired after those two weeks <laughs> oh and i had help i had help from like a previous fact member as well like finn um was fantastic um so you know and here it was I very am. helpful i had um a similar experience uh i mentioned coding at uni before and i did um I did an engineering degree, which uh, definitely helps. But but going through that process of learning how to translate my native language, which is English, into JavaScript, which is a different language, um, was such a process at the time that I completely forgot about until I started coaching with founders and coders. So like the applicants who are coming through now, talking to people who have never written any code before, and seeing through new eyes, if you have you know, var name equals six, right, whatever. <laughs> if you declare a variable, there's like so much that JavaScript is doing. There's this, there's this, um, there's this thing that there's this concept at the moment 
but I'm really, and I think it's because I'm not, I'm not a great coach, but I'm really struggling to um, explain simply or explain in, in a way that people can understand when you declare it, when you like create a function and you give it a name and you have round brackets and you put words in those round brackets and then you have curly braces and then there's a bunch of code and it returns something that also has a name. And then you write the function name and in the round brackets, you put in values you want to assign to those words that you put in between the round brackets at the top of the function, right? And we call that declaring a function and then calling it with arguments. But before realizing that that's what's going on, there's so much that JavaScript is doing for us that we kind of forget about. And so, like, it makes sense if, if you're, well, I don't know how much, I don't know how interesting this is actually, but it makes sense if you're calling a, if you're calling a function and you want your argument to equal six, that you would write number equals six into those round brackets, right? Because that's what you want the variable to be. I don't know, there are all these like things that you kind of forget about, which, <laughs> and I went through that process so long ago, having graduated like eight years ago, seven years ago, that I'd kind of forgotten what that process was like, actually. Yeah, I like it's the it's the advantage of having people who are on the previous cohort teaching people on the next is that they've had the experience of getting through all of those difficulties just before they're teaching other people to get through them. So they know the, the bit of language that they needed to hear for it to make sense so they can feed that back but when it is something that's so long ago when like you originally first learned a coding language like 10 years ago and you're trying to like give that initial piece of sense to just how all of these like numbers and symbols make the computer do something it's it's tricky there's there's the way that the computer understands things and there's the way people understand things and they're not that related but you can just sort of bend your brain into the same shape if you spend enough time learning how to do it. I think maybe another thing that I would say to myself as I started this process is that like the bar will always be just slightly higher than you are at the moment. Like it'll always feel like you're not quite there and you'll have that for the rest of your life. Or at least, I mean, I've been coding for a year, so what can I say? But like, there's just always going to be slightly more. Um, and that that is not just fine, but that is the like point or something. That is like, you've got to remember that the bar is slightly higher today than it was yesterday. But that's because you, you've reached the bar that you had yesterday, which is slightly below where you are. And it's, that's probably the toughest thing with, with this is, is remembering how far you've come every day and, and not just focusing on that next level. It's um, it's the experience of the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Like when you don't know much, you feel like there's not that much to know. But the more that you learn, the vaster you realise the landscape of knowledge is and how small the portion of it you know is. So you actually, the more you learn, the dumber you feel like you are. <laughs> Um, but 
but you're getting better and better and better all of the time. Um, so like how doing it, doing a chemistry degree must have felt a little bit like that as well, Terence. Like, do you feel like that prepared you for that constant feeling of being slightly unsteady that's been, yeah, what being a part of Fact 20 has been like? I don't think it has. I barely remember anything from my degree. I don't think I've retained anything useful in the four years that I started it for. But yeah, that constant feeling of there's always more to learn and I'm always chasing like, I gotta learn this. And then once I've learned that, it's like, oh, but there's 10 more other things to learn. And that's just been like the whole whole course. And if, if what Jack is saying, that's just, that's just coding in general. I mean, do we ever get a break? Are we always just learning the latest technology, you know, learning the latest tools, packages? Is it just, is that just part of being a programmer, being a, being a coder? Yeah. I mean, I guess I should, I guess I should clarify that like where you are now is, is, is basically where I am now because I graduated and then did nothing and you're about to graduate. So like we're neck and neck as, as it goes. I can't speak to any like greater experience than, than what you guys have. Disagree. You've done tech for better. Okay, I'm three project. weeks ahead. Yeah, I'm three weeks ahead. <laughs> two, two A weeks. lot happens in three weeks. Yes. Yes, 100%. I think the closest thing that parallels I can draw from my own experience in learning programming is when I was younger, troubleshooting computer problems. Because again, you can't look for a problem, you don't know what's going wrong. You just, you just Google a bunch of stuff, get random answers from people from a bunch of different years. You try a lot of them until one of them works. And then it's like, oh, cool, that works. So I'm used to like Googling problems. But the difference between programming and troubleshooting computers is that every time I troubleshoot a computer problem, I don't understand why it worked. I just Googled enough to find something that does work and fix the issue. But programming, every time I Google a problem and I learn a solution, I feel like I add that to then like the toolbox of things that I now I'm aware of. It feels like I'm getting more knowledgeable and getting better and better, which is a lot more comforting than just Googling random PC issues, fixing the thing and going, yeah, I don't know what happened. I just Googled it and I found a solution. But programming, you're building each time, you're building up yourself more and more and more. So that's like a parallel that I've noticed myself. Mm -hmm. I am... Um, the terrible thing for me is I forget everything again. <laughs> <laughs> I find myself Googling the same problem for like the fifth time. <laughs> so yeah. Like I guess like maybe after the seventh seventh time it starts to stick. Mm. Um yeah. and then and then you actually start to feel like you're gaining knowledge. <laughs> exactly, but at least you know you can Google it and find the answer quicker, you know? Damn right. My Google skills are getting better and better every damn day. Um I think Googling error messages. I think that's the key skill. Yeah, I was doing a tech test the other day and it was like asking me what error messages meant um, and I was like oh oh this is good because like it's become so second nature that I I don't actually know how to translate this into normal English to explain what it means <laughs> the error message means exactly what the error message says like come on but when there's like okay so sometimes you get an error message that is 70 lines of code so the skill is finding the seven or eight words in that big block of text that is the key to finding the solution. And that you can really, really get good at that by 
making lots and lots of mistakes. And I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all do. It's hard. I think, like, because it, I think that some people can be um, afraid to make mistakes because, in general, mistakes kind of cost things. You know, if we make a mistake in general, it's going to cost them time or money. I mean, I guess this would, I don't know, everything is free in the open source internet. Whilst the internet is free, you know, like touch wood, that'll last a bit longer anyway. That you can just build stuff, and it, and it can break, and it doesn't matter. So I don't know what my point is. I I don't think that just applies to like our little sphere, though. I think like making mistakes and like learning from them is like the best way to learn all of the time. Like I think a a skill that I've seen lots of people in the cohort picking up as they've gone on is to, instead of like wanting to work out how to do something right, daring to see exactly where it breaks. Because if you find out exactly where it breaks, then you know much more about how it really works. Um, so yeah, like I think having the confidence to make mistakes is great in code, but it's, but it is actually great in life as well. As long as you're like, as long as you have that growth mindset, as long as you know that every time you do that you're gaining something from it and it's going to make you better at approaching that situation that problem again the next time i'm seeing nods <laughs> yeah i guess when i get errors in all the projects i just treat it as like a little puzzle because i know that when <laughs> no matter how frustrating it is at a time because it's not working we should do crack it mm, that satisfaction of it working again i love it i just I get so hyped when after like you know an hour of us struggling with something, it's not working, and then bam, we find the reason why it's broken, and it's like yes, it's working. I don't know. I think it's, it's great just chasing that high. <laughs> <laughs> and it That's is, what I mean, man. And it is chasing that high because it's so easy because of there's always the next thing, right? You can spend two hours banging your head against the wall, finally solve it. And it's like the best feeling ever. And then you're like, okay, now there's this next thing. And now this is really difficult. So there must be a, like a healthy way to balance. Like feeling super stressed. And then making sure that you actually take the time to enjoy and value the experience of breaking through. I don't know. I just have to tell myself that otherwise I just get too, too beaten down, you know, with the errors. This is like a, it's a constant battle of being like an absolute idiot and then feeling like a genius because you cracked it. But then you look at it and it's like, I've written four lines of code. It took me this long to figure it out. But the story, the blood, sweat, and tears behind those four lines of code is, you know, you, you, you wouldn't know because from an outside, it's like, it's four lines of easy code, what you're talking about. But for your own learning experience, it was a whole journey, a whole saga. <laughs> and that's, that's it. Right. That's why we've got the podcast, so you can tell those stories. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say, Jack? Gosh, I can't remember. Okay, um, I have a, another question for both of you then. Um, and like, Jack, you can answer this a bit already, because you actually definitely know. But what is next? What what happens after you finish Founders and Coders and you enter back into the real world? What do you do? What's the plan, if you have one? 
Jack. Oh, right. right. Um, so I started at Workbird a couple of weeks ago, uh, and that contract goes through the end of the year, December 31st. Um, and it's with Cami, who's somebody I did back maintain with, that you will know actually from Database Week. And I think he came at some other point for some reason. I can't remember when. Anyway. Oh, he helped. He was in Space 4 uh, a few weeks ago. Helped somebody. So that is my plan for the rest of the year. And then, and to be honest, Joanna, who runs Workerbird, has some exciting ideas for that. So it's going to start, it's going to be to start building with React Native and D3, which are both technologies that I'm really keen to get into. So we'll just sort of see how that goes, really. Longer term plans are to move to Berlin, which I've wanted to do for a while. But that might become trickier with COVID and lockdown and leaving the EU as of December 31st. So yeah, TBC. But I've started stockpiling rice just for then. No, you haven't. (laughs) 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 I I, I imagine we won't see like another round of stockpiling because that was a a moment of madness. I had to laugh. I'm going to go into the supermarket and just empty shelves. Every aisle empty. People just going crazy buying up eggs. Crazy for toilet roll. Nobody yeah, toilet roll. roll. Yeah, yeah, so much toilet roll. What's going on? My flatmate. My flatmate uh, stockpiled toilet roll, and it's just run out. <laughs> seven months later, she didn't even buy that much. It's just that nobody uses that much toilet paper. <laughs> crazy. It's a weird thing for everybody to go crazy about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like when everything else goes to hell. You need to know that going to the toilet's going to be fine. It's like that foundation upon we can like build the rest of civil society. Um, so how about you, Terence? Like, do you know what you're hoping to do next? Yeah, dev job as soon as possible. But from the last week or two, I'm hearing speakers, that's probably not happening. You know, I'm being a bit a bit naive, thinking I can uh, get a job fairly soon after kind of encoded because of the current climate unfortunately and because it's near Christmas time so companies are like not really hiring so I think after November 13th I'm probably going to have to look for some some retail job part-time job I don't know maybe I can go back to my old company and work that while trying to break into the industry yeah dream bigger go hard go hard or go home like I was (laughs) Slightly more optimistic before, but hearing you know the number of applicants per role, it's just been uh, yeah demoralising, to say the least. I think you're going to have a better time than you're expecting. <laughs> I think with your with your skills and your charm, it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> Way too much credit is easy. Way too much credit. We're all we're all fantastic, you know. So, but it's just too many people right now, and and I just get. Freaked out about having to do tech tests and learning a lot more outside. Have, have you applied? Have you applied to many things? Yeah, I've, I've, not, I don't know what counts as many. I've done like twelve or so. 
in the past couple of weeks. Got a first rejection today. So, nice. whoop, you know? Yeah, yeah. What I expected. Need more experience. Great. Yeah. Just, just get some more of that out of nowhere, you know? <laughs> I've got three rejection letters so far, and each one of them feels like a small success. I like. I send my CV off. I don't expect any response. So the fact that they've actually bothered to tell me that I haven't got the job, like, has, has got to be a good sign, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was saying that, uh, yeah, I was saying that's like the mayor of ghost town, you know, just getting ghosted by all these companies. <laughs> Did get something back. So probably just uh, had to more and more. And initially I thought it would be like a numbers game. I'm expecting like a 5 to 10% response rate. But now we're hearing different views from hiring managers, right? Saying that they care about quality not quantity so then it's like a balance between sending out enough cvs because it's sort of like a bit of like involved as well right but then spending more time on the ones you care more about but it's also not getting too too sad when you spent like hours writing this amazing cover letter and you just go yeah nah not happening see you later it's just like yeah it's hard to balance i think just remember if you do spend hours writing an amazing covering letter then a lot of that will be reusable so if it doesn't all come through from like that like loads and loads of effort you put in in that one place you can apply it somewhere else um that's what yeah, georgia I, did, right? sorry that's what georgia uh, georgia tracked all the t- all the versions of the cvs that she sent out Rarely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've had the suggestion of A-B testing with CVs to see which ones you get the most responses to. So um, my, my plan is just to um, play video games <laughs> once I've done. Because <laughs> uh, finally I'll have time to do it again. It'll be amazing. Um, but no, like just, just like you, Terence, I'm really hoping to land a developer job as fast as possible because like I... I want to be able to keep building these skills that we've gained. It's like, I want to have like the impetus and the framework of a job around me to like do that more. Um, but if that doesn't happen, then I'll just, I'll try and do it on my own. I'll try and learn as much as I can, uh, without earning any money doing it, which would be a shame, which would definitely be a shame, but you know, we'll see what happens. Okay then, gents. I think this is probably a good time to wrap up. Um, It's been really, really nice having both of you here. Um, Like the opportunity to find out a bit more about the people that I have been studying with for like these past few months is just delicious. Um, I I hope you've had a nice time here too. I've had a great time. I'm so sorry for all of my sound problems at the beginning of the call, which probably cost us about 45 minutes of our evening. As he's, as it was it was fairly hilarious watching it today. <laughs> you're very clear. You're like, okay, we're going to start at six thirty. I think honestly, it's quarter past seven when we started. That's exactly why I said we're starting at six thirty. <laughs> I knew it was going to take ages. Oh. Um, and yeah, I know. There's it's it's always difficult to set things up for the first time. So no worries, no worries. Um, and yeah, like it would be fantastic if you guys w- would both be happy to come back on to some later episodes at some point um like i think the more people we get on the better the more opportunities to talk about the things that we've had going on the better um so yeah it's been an absolute pleasure 
Um, I've been Azizi Adiemo. I've been Jack Harrismith. I've been Terence Chong. And we'll catch you next time. <laughs> Bye! Oh? 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 <laughs>